0: Hello and welcome to the Smarter Conversations podcast, where we'll be weaving together voices from the cotton supply chain. This podcast is brought to you by the U.S. Cotton Trust Protocol. I'm your host, Cathy Smith. I'm an independent freelance journalist. This podcast series does exactly what the name implies. I'm going to be talking to some of the key movers and shakers in the global textile supply chain to dig into the world of cotton. So thanks for joining us today, and it is in fact the 10th episode in our series, and we're talking about the most high-tech industry that you've never heard of. Yes, of course, the cotton industry. We're looking at what technology is used by U.S. Cotton Trust Protocol growers. We're looking at how data is used to make sure that the plant gets precisely what it needs, when it needs it. So what we're talking about, of course, is precision agriculture, and joining me today are our ambassador. Joining me today, Aaron Barcelos, who is a cotton grower from the San Joaquin Valley in California. Hello to you. Good morning. And Nathan Reed, a grower from Lee County, Arkansas, who is a former attorney, gave up law to concentrate on farming. Interesting. Nathan, so why did you give up law? What was the pull of farming?
1: Well, I actually never practiced law. I just went to law school and became a licensed attorney. And then uh the day after I took the bar, I moved home. And my, my father was actually an attorney and practiced for a few years, but uh he he the lure of 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 cotton farming brought him brought him back to the farm and uh I decided it, it wasn't a bad lifestyle. So uh uh I day after I took the bar, I, I came back to the farm and, and haven't left. So
0: So tell me about that farm in Arkansas.
1: So we, uh, my my grandfather was from Tennessee. Always dreamed about farming uh, and, and being a cotton farmer specifically. Uh, after World War II, he he moved to eastern Arkansas uh, with his new wife to try to start farming. So that's what uh, he farmed uh, until his death in two thousand five. And then my my father uh, and I farmed uh and my unfortunately my father passed away in 2011 uh so so it's a family farm but at this point I'm the only family left I have a a young son that that may be one day and three daughters so maybe one day one of them will will uh decide to choose this path also
0: so we're talking about technology today give us a sense of how technology has changed the way that you all work on your farm
1: so I, I guess I still consider myself a young farmer, but I don't know how much longer I could say that. Uh, but in the in the 16 years that I've been farming full-time, it, it has absolutely changed and it continues to change. Uh, you know, it started out uh, with, with biotech seed was probably one of the bigger breakthroughs in the last 20, 30 years, but uh, they've obviously expanded on that. Uh, now with the precision technologies, with so much we can do with GPS and and even drones coming into it now and satellite imagery uh, it, it's just amazing uh, the the progress and now they're bringing artificial intelligence even into uh, cotton production with with certain spray systems and so it's it's amazing to 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 see where we've come and, and where we're heading uh, in such a, a short amount of time relatively.
0: So the world has changed. so Aaron, tell us a little bit about your life in California describe your farm to us take us down take us out in those fields
2: yes absolutely so so our farm is uh centered right in the center of uh, the state of california and um you know we're probably in one of the best growing regions of the world our limiting resource really is water and uh, this year we're in the middle of of another drought and uh, we've got about 30 percent of our acreage uh this year due to the lack of uh, water supplies but but our farm really started back with my uh, grandfather he had a small dairy farm and um, my dad uh, went into the dairy business as well and and he made the dairy a little bit larger and when I was in school my plan was to come back and be a dairy farmer as well so I had a ag business degree with the dairy science minor and then back in the late 80s my dad uh, entered into a uh, into a program to reduce the oversupply of milk. And so as I was graduating from college, uh, my dad was getting out of the dairy business, and plans changed really fast for us. So my brother was uh, getting out of junior college at the time, and we just started a farming partnership on the available property that we did have to the farm. And, you know, for our whole life, all we would grown our crops were feed crops for the cows, alfalfa, wheat, corn silage, things like that. Um, and so we slowly transitioned into to other crops uh, and our first other crop was cotton we started growing cotton in 1989 I believe when we started our farm and so for the past 30 years we've been kind of growing our business my brother and I and my dad my father passed away a few years ago so now our family partnership consists of my brother uh, his son my nephew and myself and then my oldest son just graduated from college here last year and is back on farm as well so We've got a a real interest in sustainability and keeping this uh, farm uh, viable for a few generations. But today we farm about 7,500 acres uh, consisting of almonds, pistachios, pomegranates, high density olive trees. We grow some asparagus, uh, we grow a lot of processing tomatoes and then we grow Pima cotton, which is an extra long staple cotton. So um, the economics of California don't allow us to grow uh stable cotton anymore so we're growing kind of more of a specialty crop in the pima cotton
0: and i mean you talk about the drought and the water issues that you have of course we're talking about technology. I presume that technology can help you in that sort of area, but I mean, just generally, how has technology changed your lives over the last few years? Sure,
2: absolutely. I think the biggest one for us has been um, just the irrigation efficiencies we've been able to achieve. You know, when we first started farming 30 years ago, we were all flood irrigated. Uh, whatever crops we grew were flood irrigated with with siphon pipes and open ditches and things like that. Uh, today, our farm is 95% drip irrigation. On, on every crop to grow, including cotton. Uh, so we're able to achieve about 90, 92% uh, irrigation efficiencies by doing that. And then we're also using, you know, a lot of different monitoring techniques from soil probes to satellite imagery, to uh, plane imagery, um, uh, using ETs and uh, KC values to uh, estimate how much water we're putting on the crop and really we, we try just to apply the water the crop actually needs and, and we don't move any water past the root zone and then and, and down into the super, uh, soil profiles.
0: So let's dig into this a little bit more deeply and start from the beginning if you like. Let's start with the seeds and see just how you use technology at the various stages of growing cotton. So with the seeds... What uh, processes are you using in particular is there anything aaron that you are using um in terms of smart technology or in terms of helping to decide which land is going to be best to use i mean how are you using technology at the very beginning of this cotton story
2: so um you know we we obviously look at our crop rotations and some of that it ends up being water dependent uh but but we're using um you know all the g m o seeds for cotton uh that's one of the seed traits that we can use, it allows us to, uh, you know, use seeds that are kind of designed for um, our area. Uh, We can look at a lot of different uh, test results, uh, neighbor yields, stuff like that to kind of see what fits our profile. And we're looking for quality in our PMSC. We, we always look for quality because at the end of the day, we're trying to sell a superior cotton quality fiber.
0: So, I mean, obviously it's good for the environment, but also one assumes that it actually saves money along the way because you, you're able to really calculate exactly how much uh, of any treatments, for instance, you need at any one point. Um, you can really farm, so well, the word is precision and, and that makes a difference.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, and what it's allowed us to do is really kind of stay in business. You know, the economics of growing cotton, especially out west, are, are pretty tough with the, the regulatory climate we have and, and just the high cost structure we have for, for land rents and water, and, et cetera. So uh, the fewer trips we can make to the field, the fewer applications of uh, any type of uh, chemical, uh, it Just it just all helps our bottom line.
0: So, Nathan, what about you then at planting time? Um, wh- what sort of technology can help you? And, and is it really as basic as, as Aaron is saying for you that it allows you to stay in business to use technology? Yes,
1: well, I, I've say, said from the beginning with sustainability, uh, a lot of times... Farmers are the farmers are the original environmentalists. We make our living off the land and we want the land to to produce and to, to be uh, generational where we can, our, our kids and grandkids can make a living off this land. So sustainability to me, short term, means staying in business uh, so I can do that. Uh, but generally, even though uh, a lot of times, farmers' goals and, and staunch environmentalists are, are goals alive. Because uh, farming is all about inputs. What inputs do you need to put into this to get out and make a profit? Well, the least amount of inputs uh, that we can put in a cotton crop and still make that yield, still make our desired, achieve our desired goal, then the more uh, money we can make, and the and the more efficient we can be, and, and the higher our margins are. So fundamentally, our goals generally line up with sustainable production because we want to use the the most limited, the, the lowest amount of resources we can to make that product.
0: So how can you use technology to make so that happen?
1: Then? And technology has made that happen uh, because uh, the price of cotton really hadn't gone up in years and years. But we've been able to still stay in business and still be profitable in cotton production. Uh, and a lot of it is through technology. So going back to the actual uh Beginning of cotton harvest, it actually starts, especially in our area, years before. Uh, using GPS uh, land forming technology, uh, back way back, well, we use lasers, and here in the last few years, they've came out with with GPS. So we actually, it's generally a one-time uh, one-time process where we're able to level our land uh, and make it say flat, so that that uh, our irrigation efficiencies improve. Uh, water drains off the land better. Uh, a lot of times just from from leveling a field, we'll get 10 to 20% increase in production just from better water drainage than anywhere from a 20% to 100% uh, increase in yield from from being able to, to efficiently water the crop uh, on that field. So I say it starts there. Uh, and then when you go year to year, uh, it, it really, in our area, uh, cover crops have become prevalent. And so it starts in the fall by planting a a winter cereal cover crop. Um, And what that does, uh, it's kind of everything old is new again. Uh, People use cover crops way way back, Uh, then they fell out of fashion for a while, but with the, the biotech seed that Aaron was mentioning, uh, it, it makes it a lot easier to use a cover crop and, and to, to plant it in the fall and not till it under. Historically, people tilled under cover crops and worked the soil. Well, what we're able to do now is, is farm in a no-till type situation uh, and use the cover crops uh, and plant directly, terminate a cover crop and plant directly into that cover crop. And, and what that does is it sets a, a foundation in cotton production uh, for reduced, uh, massively reduced erosion uh, reduce water usage because the, 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 dead cover crop acts as a organic, a biological sponge, uh, and it seems to hold water. So we've, we've reduced our water, uh, usage, uh, significantly by doing that. And uh, so, so year to year, I say our, our sowing uh, for the next year obviously starts in the fall. Uh, other technology we, we use in the sowing process uh, or in the planting process would be some uh, variable rate uh, seeding where you use GPS and, and and plant different seed, different amounts of seeds on different acres uh, based on the, the the soil types generally. Uh, other things, just just varietal selection. Some varieties do better on, on some soil types. So we we're constantly uh, changing our varieties. I, I think I planted 12 different varieties of cotton on my farm this year.
0: And do you still get a, a surprised by how much you can learn from the from the data that's coming in from the technology?
1: Yes, yes. And, and I would say one one maybe negative aspect of technology is there can be so much data that that it becomes a cloud. So you have to be able to 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 sort through that and filter through that. Uh but but then even uh before we or or during planting early season we're doing uh variable rate fertilizer based on on soil samples and and things such as that. So uh it's technology is is through the whole process,
0: so well, let's move let's move on beyond uh, the the seeds and as the the crop is beginning to grow and mature. So Aaron, um what technologies do you use to monitor the growth as you're going forward?
2: Well, sure, and I think Nathan just hit on a great point with technology and the amount of data that we're able to capture these days. and and, and I know Nathan mentioned AI systems earlier on, and I'm really looking forward to that because we have so much data coming in from our different uh, resources, from soil moisture probes to imaging, from satellites and drones, um, to soil sampling and all that. And, and sometimes um, all this data just gets in the way of making good decisions. It's so hard to, to go through it all and, and, and kind of really get your mind wrapped around it. But but the AI that's coming down the road, I think, is really going to be really beneficial to farmers. Uh, but as far as growing the crop, I mean, we are we're, we're using imagery. Uh, to help us kind of identify spots and fields where we might have extra stress and and trying to uh, either address those through uh, different fertilizer techniques or irrigation practices. Um, But uh, our main technology in our cotton systems now, once the crop is planted, is just our irrigation monitoring. We've got soil probes in the field. Uh, We use satellite imagery. We've got an uh, agronomist that walks the field uh, once a week to help us with our irrigation scheduling. And we're scheduling just the amount of water that that crop needs on a weekly basis through uh, using ETs and um, crop coefficients. So um, I think that's where we've really gained over the years is just making sure, it used to take us probably 24 to 28 inches of water to grow a cotton crop back when we first started with flood irrigation, sometimes more depending on the soil holding capacity. Now we're usually on average 18 to 20 inches of water using drip irrigation. So we're really putting every drop of our water to its best beneficial use when we're irrigating. And, uh, and I think that's probably our, our number one uh, technological gain on cotton. Of course, we use GPS tractors and everything we do is with GPS and then And since we have permanent drip beds where all our tape is, we know exactly where our tape is because we placed it with a GPS unit. We go and work those beds around the tape to make sure that we don't damage that tape and we'll have a system in place for years and years that um, can just keep repeating itself.
0: I mean, you you talk about the amount of data being a bit overwhelming at times, but um, as um, members of the Cotton Trust protocol, surely the, the, the centralized data there probably helps you to compare, does it, with other regions, with other, other farms to know how you are um, operating in comparison to other people and maybe make improvements as a result. Do you do that, Aaron?
2: Yeah, I think that's one of the things, you know, the, the cotton trust protocol information is just kind of in its beginning stages. But but uh, with where they're at today and where they're planning on going, I think it's going to be a really beneficial tool to us as growers. Uh, I, I think especially regionally because, you know, the way I farm out in California is completely different from the way Nathan farms in Arkansas. Uh, so we, we've got different challenges and different uh, issues that we both have to address. But being able to kind of get the things that are comparable and, and see how we stack up along with you know not just with you know nathan and i you know across the country from each other but just with farmers our own growing regions i think it's gonna be a, a great tool for us as we go forward
0: would you agree with that nathan
1: oh absolutely yes it it uh it it it, it say absolutely it it helps me see uh i guess it's a matrix on my farm where i'm able to see what I'm doing uh and compared to other people in my region and across the country but uh where, where it really helps is is some practices maybe I haven't implemented yet but I, I can see kind of what's becoming the standard practice in cotton production and and it may not take a lot of effort to do uh, a practice that that really pays off in the end environmentally so that it, it at least informs farmers uh kind of what uh new practices and new options and 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 what we're able to do
0: so is there something that you're eyeing up now as a new practice that you have seen happen in elsewhere in, in the U.S.?
1: Well, just uh, I would say, uh, kind of like Aaron mentioned, some of the new things coming online in the cotton production while it's growing. Uh, if we want to go back, uh, some of the technologies that we use right now. Uh, again, I have a consultant like Aaron that helps me with irrigation and, and fertilize and, and pesticides in and, and every aspect of cotton production, but we do uh, soil sampling uh, every three years, every acre is sampled, whether it's a grid pattern or a zone pattern. And we apply all of our fertilize uh, based on those. We use a variable rate fertilize. Uh, for irrigation, uh, we actually still use flood irrigation. Fortunately, I'm from a region that we, we do have plentiful water but we still don't want to waste it uh and and it's expensive to to pump it out of the ground so so we need to be as efficient as possible on that we actually have a a computer-aided design software that helps us design our our pipe uh we use a a disposable poly or recyclable poly tubing to irrigate with but it, it helps us design uh what size of that tubing we need what size holes we need in it the links the pressures Uh, so, so that's been very beneficial, beneficial. That's cut my water usage, uh, substantially. Um, and and, I mean, one of the more exciting things, you know, in the, in the AI technology, we have, uh, this blue river technologies I've worked with them kind of since the beginning, they were acquired by John Deere, but, but it's an actual spray system that uses artificial intelligence to identify weeds and just spray chemical on that weed. So whether, rather than doing a blanket spray on the whole field. Uh, you're just applying enough chemical to kill an individual weed. And we're talking uh, reduction in chemical, at, you know, 80, 90% up to that much. So, you know, that's an exciting thing because going back to sustainability, any any limited use of pesticides or herbicides that you can restrict is good for the environment. And it's good for my pocketbook. If we're talking about a 90% less chemical cost, because uh, that has become a significant expense in in, in cotton production.
0: That is really impressive, isn't it? Really impressive. So, what about then? We get to harvest time, and you're wanting to track your yields. So, what sort of technologies can you use then, Nathan?
1: Uh, most, uh, pretty much every new piece of equipment comes with a yield monitor, uh, where we use a uh, GPS uh, location, and then it has some sensors that can can monitor, uh, I guess, the the flow of cotton going through the machine and give you a rough estimate of, of of yield monitoring and where that helps, it, it's not so much knowing that that this spot picked three bells, but it, it's really uh, three bells an acre. It's really knowing where your your strong and your weak zones are in the field, and then you kind of go back in the fall and then the next crop, and you decide: Do I want to make this weak spot try to yield with the with the stronger areas of the field, or do I want to put less inputs in it and maybe I can make more money by trying to keep it. Yielding the same and maybe not put as many inputs on it. And through the GPS technology and, and variable rate applications of products, uh, we're able to do that. So you, I mean, uh, you say a
0: rough estimate. Is it accurate enough for, for what you need to be able to make those decisions?
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's accurate. The GPS that we're using is is really like a military grade GPS technology where we're within a half an inch uh we can we can go to a spot in a field within a half an inch and and pick it out. So it's very, very accurate. Uh, and then just the the way that cotton technology has changed cotton production in, in the last 15 years. You know, we went from from uh, cotton trailers 25 years ago to module builders 15 years ago to now we have these these cotton harvesters that make their own big it looks like a big hay bale, make their own uh module of cotton. Well what that does is it gets rid of uh, used to for each cotton picker, we had to have about two, three tractors and, and five support per personnel per, uh, harvest machine. Now it just takes one person driving the cotton picker. So you don't have three other tractors sitting there running all day, supporting that, uh, you know, running on diesel fuel and fossil fuels. And, and so, and it's, again, it's, it's, it's made our harvest, uh, Way more efficient, way I would say cheaper, and it, and it's made uh, it's it's definitely better for the environment.
0: So so so, uh, Aaron, what about you when it comes to harvest time? What about um, the traceability uh, of the, the the crops?
2: Sure, sure. I, I'll get to that in a second, but I want to go back to this technology thing, and and I want to tell a quick little story about just how um, technology, I guess, has kind of changed over the years for us. So 30 years ago, when I first started growing cotton uh we didn't know anything about it never grown the crop and, and it was all new to us so we we were looking over a cotton stand one time my brother and i and um and it, we had a poor stand and we were trying to figure out what was the best thing to do to it and all that and, and we called my godfather uh, joe avalar out who was a longtime cotton grower and and he was kind of giving us some advice on what to do and so forth and and i at the end of the conversation i said you know uncle joe um, I can't wait till Sunday where I know all this stuff about growing cotton and, and how we're going to do it. And he just had me and he laughed and he said, you'll never know everything there is. No, you're always learning. That's part of, you know, being a grower. It, it's you're you're always going to learn and keep changing and adapting because if you don't, you don't stay in business. And so we've always had this philosophy ever since then is that, you know, we don't know everything about how we're farming. We're always looking for consultants and people to come up with better ideas and technology has obviously been one of those, but it's just kind of this progressive process that, That we've always gone through and continue to grow through, because that's how we stay sustainable.
0: It's very exciting as well, though, isn't it? That because of that.
2: Yeah, absolutely. No, it's just a great story, and I always remember it, and I've told it to my boys and many other people over the years because it's it's like you just you don't know everything, and you're always constantly learning and trying to improve. So um, back to the harvesting that we use all the same technologies that Nathan mentioned as far as the round bell module pickers and the yield harvesters and stuff um and, and then the traceability is great you know now with the with the round mill uh, module harvesters and we have the ability to have RFID uh scans on each module that goes through we can track that module over to the gin when it goes into the ginning process uh and gins into a, a 480 pound bell it it gets a bell id marker, a bell tag and so that tag will go with that bell of cotton all the way through the marketing side through the warehouse to the end user at the, um, the spinning mills and so forth and so a spinning mill can track a U.S. bale of cotton from all the way back down to the the farm and to that farmer's field and know exactly where that bale of cotton was produced. And so the traceability in U.S. cotton is really one of those things that's, that's uh, you know, just you don't have that in every place in the world. So I, I think when somebody buys a U.S. bale of cotton, they've got this extra bit of assurance that they know where it came from. They know the type of growing practices that came, went with it and uh, have a lot of trust. And, and,
0: and do you think that translates into sales? Because obviously we know that brands and retailers are now starting to take this so much more seriously. They want to know where the cotton comes from. So do you think it is translating into, into I, sales?
2: I think it definitely helps with sales. I mean, obviously sales always get down to price for most most uh, manufacturers. And, and I think as farmers, we know that. But, but anything we can do to make our cotton um, a first choice so if price is comparable or competitive, or maybe we have a little bump, but it's worth it to it. You know, we're trying to do that. I think in the future uh, we'll be able to identify where every belt of cotton is grown around the world with the orienting process for the people that are using it. So it's really fascinating to me.
1: Mm-hmm. Kathy, I yes, was going to add. I was going to add to that. Uh, the United States and and maybe Australia uh, were the world leader in in cotton once it's after it's been harvested and and with the permanent every bale of cotton grown in America is certified by a government entity it's not grouped together with a with 10 bales and and spot checked every so if any buyer at a mill anywhere in the world buys American cotton they know exactly what they are getting and they again they can trace that all the way back to the actual field it was produced in through the permanent bill identification number, and so it has helped with our cotton sales just from that aspect of a mill wanting a certain grade of cotton and calling and ordering that grade and, and, and getting what they ordered and what they paid for. Uh, but but where we in the future, like Aaron mentioned, the exciting thing is 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 more than any other commodity out there. Whereas is most other commodities. You, you deliver to a granary, it gets co-mingled with other product, and, and you, you can tie it back to a region, but not a specific farmer or field. Well, with cotton, up until that cotton is laid down on the mill floor in a laydown, uh, it is fully traceable back to the field it was produced in. Uh, so, so more than any other industry, we are primed for full traceability. And I definitely see it coming in the future because from the farm to the mill, it's already in place.
0: So just to round up, if you like, very, very briefly, both of you, how could you assess just what impact technology has had on your work to increase yields and reduce costs? I don't know if you have any figures or I mean, you actually said, Aaron, it had made the difference. It had kept you in business. So that was pretty radical. Um, Just how would you assess the impact of technology 30, in 30 seconds?
2: Uh, I, I was saying, I, I'm not sure if I could put a dollar figure on it. I do know that we would not be in business today without the technological advances that we've seen uh, in the past 30 years. Uh, just the way economics of farming have gone and, and our high cost structures and the heavy regulations that we have, especially in California and throughout the U.S.,
0: Nathan, I mean, and obviously, great for the environment as well. So, how would you assess the impact of technology on your world?
2: Well,
1: just like Aaron said, uh, I mean, if, if you if you look back at the price that farmers have received for cotton in the last hundred years, it really has not changed a lot. Cotton sold for a dollar a pound during the Civil War. So, uh, the only way we as cotton farmers have been, in to stay, been able to stay in business is through uh, technological advances, whether it be seed that produces more or, or, or technology that lets us uh, use reduced inputs. So it, it's, it's absolutely been the reason that we're still able to produce cotton in America. The way that we've been able to do it is really by America and American cotton production leading the world in technological advances that, that, that still allow us to do this.
0: Well, thank you both very much indeed. And long may you stay in business. So thank you to you both, to Nathan Reed and to Erin Barcelos. And that is it for this edition of the US Cotton Trust Protocol Smarter Conversations podcast. You can learn more about the Trust Protocol at trustuscotton.org. I hope you can join us again next time. But for now, thank you very much indeed. Goodbye.